and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going to be discussing two more episodes two. of 11, 22, 63, dot, dot, dot. But before we get into that, how was your week? Um, hot. Yeah. And uh, the air is better. Yeah. We're Although... It's not going to be for long, I'm nope. sure, but... Uh, the air was better the last week, so we actually got to see this guy sometimes. Um, but, uh, yes, it's kind of hot and miserable. But how was your week? Uh, that, okay. I'm, I'm finishing some pr- preparations. Oh my gosh, yes, you should tell people what some you're doing. Some birthday preparations. I don't, it's, I don't want to tell people what I'm doing. Because this comes out before... It gets completed. Oh, okay. Although, I don't believe he listens to the show, so maybe it's fine. It's fine, right? Yeah, it's fine. So this is really impressive. You are one of the best people in the world. It's Okay, well, let's not get crazy. Um, I am (laughs) going down to visit a friend from college in uh, next week for his birthday. He, Mm -hmm. like me, turns 40 this year in quarantine. Uh... This year's been a hell of a year, a number of reasons, uh, both globally and, you know, personally personally in his life. We don't need to get into it. I don't need to blow up his whole situation. But uh, my plan, and I think I'm going to be able to do it. Now, before you say this, I want to preface this with the fact that you just told me, let's not get crazy. So now explain this particular crazy that you're doing. So I decided I was going to give him 40 presents for his 40th birthday. 40 presents. And I'm pretty much there. I yeah. figured this out a month ago, which is not enough time well, to figure like this out. It a very good idea. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. It's too much. Well, no, it was on a drive home after no sleep. So here's the trick. Don't leave me alone with my own thoughts for well, longer than three hours. I try not to. Uh, because I do bonkers bananas things, yep. and then he doesn't know this is happening, uh-huh. so I hope he doesn't kick me out of his house, because I am planning on staying there for the weekend. Uh, yeah, so that's the plan. When 40 was, gifts for, for turning 40. I was like, well, all through my life, I've had various forms of insomnia, right? And sometimes the best ideas come to me at three in the morning. Yes. And I think they are the best ideas yes. I've ever had. This is what and happens also when I get high sometimes. In the cold light of day, um, I had various ways of, when I was younger, I couldn't save these ideas. Because I always thought, oh, the best ideas come in the middle of the night. And when I got older and I had my phone, I would either record into my phone mm-hmm. what my ideas were, and it sounded like this. Uh, uh, like, okay, I was asleep, half asleep. Or I texted them to myself. Generally, when I look at those middle of the night ideas, they are some of the dumbest things. That this I've isn't ever... a dumb idea. This no, is a nice idea. This is a nice idea. It is filled with so much compassion, empathy. That I am very proud of you. I'm really, well, really proud of you. I mean, yeah. No, yes, I think that but... he deserves a nice thing, and I want him to be overwhelmed with nice. That is, I think everyone here should be your friend who listens to us because you Ain't nobody got 40 gifts for 40 people 40 times. You are amazing. Not so that you can give them things, but it's just like (laughs) you're the most loyal and amazing friend. Oh, well, I thank you for that. And I hope that, like I said, he doesn't kick me out of his house (laughs) and refuse to speak to me for being over the top. I 
don't think you can kick persons out of your house for giving you gifts. That seems like a really strange thing. It Yes, well, and yet, here is my fears. So we'll see how it goes. I'm giving him everything on Thursday. I'm driving down there, and uh, I plan to overwhelm him with too much. Uh, and I hope that he could have stopped it right there. <laughs> well, it's redundant. It. I like to be redundant. Just help to get the stuff out of the car too. Well, I'm still trying to figure out how I'll, how I'm gonna. Because guess who's loading it? The other problem is. Miley's favorite thing about giving a gift is watching somebody open the gift yes. because I am I am afeard of disappointment in their face and I have set myself up for that forty times in a row and I can't just be like open it without me because that is unfair to him because I have done this to both of us well, now. It reminds me of Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. And his joke about why no one gives Jesus Christmas presents. Oh yeah. Oh I, I, I oh this this. <laughs> Yes, this so gravy boat. So, so right. Okay. I I'll gave you it. my life. <laughs> right. But this soap is okay. Soap on a rope is great. <laughs> yeah, no. But I do feel like I'm a pretty good gift giver, but I yeah. also have no faith in myself at all. So And you should have more, you're amazing. It's a good combination. So you you could stop John F. Kennedy from being assassinated. Um uh, probably not. You could do so much better job. I'd get lit on fire. Well, I Yes, I would do better job than James Franco. Let's talk about James Franco, y'all. We, we need to talk about James we Franco. We need to talk about James Franco. So let's get into this so episode. Let me just ask you a question. Is he good looking to you? He Not to me. Okay, because... I think that right. he could be described as conventionally attractive. He's not my jam. Well, see, because I, I know that we've had I don't think like he's unattractive, but I don't... I don't care for him as a person, which right. which colors my view of him as a physical specimen as well. But between the you know uh, aggressive heterosexuality and the synesthesia, there are people who are really admired by women that I like. Oh my god, he's hideous! Like Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I think he looks like a ferret. Yeah, which I don't. <laughs> and not. he's like Viggo Mortensen is another one where I'm like, he also looks like a ferret. There's something about it. What is it about? It's. It's specifically ferrets and weasels. Yes, I don't know why. This long, pointy face that you look like the rat. Which I don't even see them that way. Remind me of Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective. That's basically what I'm getting. Yeah, your synesthesia is fun. So, but anyhow, anyhow, James Franco, because he just seems like really smirky to me. He's smirky and weird, and I don't know what his appeal is. Yeah, I don't know. He's not my jam. Uh, he also doesn't listen. His character, Jake, Jake, does not listen. He's uh, bad at That's kind of what I'm having listening. a problem with it here, too, is that he is the least efficient time-traveling assassin. I'm very confused, too, by his motivations. So let's start with chapter... So we watched episode two called The Kill Floor and episode three called... Um, other voices, other rooms. And I really thought going into the second episode uh-huh. that he was going to, he had planned to stop the Dunning murder, right. which is in Holden, Kentucky, y'all. I was wrong about it being in Maine. He's in Holden, Kentucky, which makes sense because he got there fairly quickly from Texas. And I thought he would try and stop the murder. 
Uh, and then talking about um, the 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 murder of Harry Dunning's family, right. the the multiple murder, and then bounce and just go back to Maine, go through the space, come back through the diner, burn mm-hmm. the diner down, and be done with it, right. or something like that. That's not what happens. No. It's unclear why he changes his mind. And I have issues. So what? Here's what I would. First of all, okay. let's start with with what um, what I would. What have would done. Amity do? Which is a bumper sticker now. I would have gone straight back to Maine and reset this whole thing. Right. That little boy died. That yes. woman in the car died. I learned a bunch of information. I would have gone back and reset. Because I, I don't have to go to that uh, that restaurant again. Mm-hmm. I know what happens if I try and call my dad. So we don't do those things. I also know not to uh, make a 35 to 1 do- bet. Yes. Like like I've, I've learned. I've learned some In things. In a place where you've never been. So they don't yes. know who you are. I, I've learned. I've now driven this car. So maybe mm-hmm. I can get a reasonable vehicle. I've learned some things. So I go back and I reset. So that that little boy is not dead forever. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I do like the idea of stopping the Dunning murder. But I don't want to do that and keep the two deaths that are already on my hand. Like, so yeah. then when I come back through, maybe instead of going straight to Dallas, since I already know what I needed to do in Dallas during those hours anyway, or during those days anyways, I stop and hold in Kentucky. I do what I need to do. Or even do this recon. Stop on the way back. Learn about this dude. Maybe do everything all the way up until Halloween and then go back through and reset and then come back in fresh with a week of time or 10 days of time where you can maybe get this dude unawares, get a gun and kill him quietly elsewhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is that's my move. That's what I do. If I know that I can reset everything. Then I reset everything. I take the knowledge that I have. I reset everything. You would think that he would learn something. Because again, as you've pointed out, people are dead. And, yes. And there's the, the... Well, at least three people that we counted last time are dead as a result of his meddling. Yes. And so he, you would think that he would go back and fix that before he goes... Yes, and before that, he goes in ahead and, and tries to make these big changes that he's right. not going to want to reset or do again. The best way to do it, and this is, what, 2010, when this takes place or whatever? Yes. He's seen the Terminator. He knows how to do it. You just go back, you get the thing done, and you and that's it. And then you bounce. Right, that's it. You do not need to establish relationships with the people. No. And what it seems to be in this case is that he goes, he, he instead of, like you said, going back to reset everything, he attempts to establish some sort of meaningful relationship with a guy that he knows to be a multiple a m- murder. Multiple murder. And he tries to reason with him. Um, yeah, he does do that. And then, yeah, it's okay. So let's let's start. Yeah. Um, we, we know it's Josh Dumel plays mm-hmm. the father of Harry Dunning. We also. By a pompadour. Yes. We've also seen little little Harry Dunning, who is a smart kid, who is tormented by Stephen King bullies, who spit in his face and oh. take his pants. And now, mind you, we were having dinner when this happened. Yeah. And it was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, literally spit in his face and then steal his... Why the homoerotic overtones with all these bullies? Okay, so this is very typical of... Uh, 
And again, this is, yeah, this is something we've seen in most of the childhood. I think the only one who don't see this is Stand By Me. Oh, no. We, it's in Stand By Me, too. In the, the film. I don't yeah. remember there was a kind of a... Well, they were constantly making fun of each other for being quote-unquote queer. But, yeah. Um, but in even Hearts of Atlantis, there was this whole notion yes. that, oh, you like to wear your mother's clothes, and this is the reason... I, I really do feel The taking like, of boys' clothes from other boys, yeah. the pantsing of boys, the, the, the messing with of genitalia, the, yeah. like... This it's so odd. This is the same scene and as Dennis in his underwear. Is it? Yes, it is. It's exactly yeah. the same scene, and it's like, I, and I didn't live in the fifties, uh, so I don't know that this is how kids were bullied in the fifties, yeah, or if it was right. just Stephen King that was bullied like this in the fifties, and or Stephen King wasn't bullied like this in the fifties, and it's this weird homophobic. Ascription that he's putting on I, them. I'm, I hope that that's not the case. So constant in his work that I can't help but think that this was part of what happened, to him. right? Or um, or his siblings or something like that, right. where and where it was something that he saw. It's or he heard about where it was like, oh, that kid. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's there's always a kind of uh, queer other kind of because it's not always that the kids are gay. It's like they're. As he said, in, as I said in Hutch of Atlantis, the suggestion is that this boy is trying to... That boy is definitely gay. Yeah, but he's also cross-dressing, and he's... Tr- so there's um, a whole other element to it there where it makes it seem as if he's trying to do these assertive masculine, quote-unquote, things to right. overcome his own feelings. And presumably also because his father is beating the shit out of him every right. time he sees him do anything that is remotely feminine because, God yeah, forbid, you're a but, woman, because, you know, the worst thing to be? Female. Yeah. Well, <laughs> cool. And Yay. part of the story of Hearts of Land is actually, to some extent, shows that. Yes. Uh, yes. For what happens That's to his true. mother, is that she's a victim, and so that that kind of uh, supports that kind of idea or that worldview at the time. But um, but yeah, it, it's it gets kind of uncomfortable after a while. You're just watching this, going, there, there must be another motivation, or did he grow up in a time just full of sadists, or? I don't know. I, I don't know what the 50s were like. It's before my time, how violent it was. There was a different kind of reason to be violent in the 70s when I was a kid. But anyway, Yeah. So, so, wandering around through town with no underwear and missing a shoe. Yes. So, oh, no, pants, rather. Missing pants. So, Jake um, sees him, and he uh, decides that he's going to stay and try and stop this from happening. Mm-hmm. He gets a place to stay with um, Mr. and Mrs. Price. Who plays Mrs. Price? It's Annette O'Toole. Annette O'Toole. That's, thank you. <laughs> I'm okay. like, no, the woman who's famous. And then her husband is the famously quiet. So Annette O'Toole plays this woman. She, of course, runs a tight household. Mm-hmm. She's a Christian woman. There will be no women or food in his room, as she says. Food in such a way that I'm like, ooh. No appetite for being fed in that bedroom. <laughs> no. And he's like, okay, that's great. Uh, the husband doesn't say much, but does tell uh, tell Jake where he can go find... Uh, the, there's a wa- one watering hole, one mm-hmm. bar. So he goes there because he knows that uh, Mr. Dunning, that Father Dunning, uh, is a drunk. And so this is, of course, where he will go. Yeah. Uh, he meets a young bartender, Bill Turkett. 
I think is how you pronounce his name. Okay. Is it? I don't know. It's Bill. He's Bill. And he asks after Frank Dunning, who he says he's a writer and was told to look him up if ever in the in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, at which point he grabs a table. He's, Bill says, you grab a table because the uh, factory's about to let out. Mm-hmm. So immediately it goes from having four people in this bar to just this overwhelming mm-hmm. mass of people in this bar. And of course, the one holding court over everything is Frank Dunning. Bill says that Bill is uh, ineffectual. He is run over by all of the assholes from the factory. They, he says they can't open a tab because he doesn't own the place, right? He's mm-hmm. not supposed to just extend right. credit. Um, so the, the dudes from the factory, who no doubt went to high school with this kid, um, so no, have known him since forever, just come behind the bar and make their own drinks, which is so fucked up. Uh, and Frank is there. Bill tells him about this guy that, I think, Jake Henderson. Mm-hmm. So gets his name wrong, which I was like, well, you don't have to correct that. Mm. And then, of course, he corrects that. I'm like, you don't. He corrects it to the Amberson, which is, again, his fake name. Mm-hmm. Use this fake name. This dude's not going to ID you. Right. Like, what are you doing? And then he, they have a whole evening of carousing and talking. And at which point Frank asks jake to go with him and yes jake gets in a car and goes to a third location with a man he knows has committed multiple murders and his uh cohort yeah and and a couple of his buddies yeah you're getting in the car with a a mass killer and his two friends who will back this episode is rough and josh jamel's actually doing an actually a nice job with the character the, everybody else though is an obnoxious twit, uh, which I is the point. But I, mm-hmm. it's a lot of it's it's rough to watch. Like it's just a lot of unlikable people yeah. for a long time in this episode. Well, I think that's part of what's rough. The other thing is that we can. It, I get really impatient with James Franco's lead. Yeah. He's making terrible choices. Well, for one thing, and I, I do. I really appreciate the fact that the story takes this direction in that. So one thing that we have to understand about Mr. M. Amberson. Epping. Jake. He doesn't... Okay, so we've already talked about how everyone knows the way that you go back to the past and kill somebody is you just do it. Jake tries very hard to ingratiate himself, and there's a a really good scene where he thinks by buying people drinks and quoting Studs Terkel, you're going to win them over and show that you're one of the working class guys. Oh, I think it was Agee. James Agee. I thought it was Studs Terkel, but it's no, James but it's Agee. James Agee. Yeah, that, that's the same idea. And right. he talks about he, you know, we're right there with you, the, the guys in right. the dirt, you know, struggling in the dirt. I like that scene because it just shows how far he is from understanding anything. Yeah, and I think that we've kind of taken. You're into just a, like you are literally the definition right. of a coastal elitist. But he's also he's speaking from such a point of privilege. Yes. And the language he's using is flying right over the head of these guys he's trying to, like, you know, get in tight with. And I I really like that scene for that. And I I have a funny feeling that this is also part of Stephen King's life. Yeah. The fact that he will be, you know, to them he might as well, to uh, 
the other characters, he might have as well have been quoting Shakespeare to them. Yeah. They're just not getting what the hell he's talking about. But their initiation right is not... Although he acts mm-hmm. like he does. I think... Like, especially Frank. Frank but, Dunning. But he like, also Frank says, gets it. But uh, then later he's like, I understand what you're saying and I actually agree with what he's saying. What uh, I don't agree with is the place you're coming at me with this. Right. You're in the, if that you're, makes sense. Right. I agree with what is being said. And what and what you're saying, but you're saying it as someone on high looking down at me, yes. and I'm not okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they let's talk about the second. There's third uh-huh. location that he goes. Ladies and gentlemen, do not go to a third location with a multiple don't murder. Go to a second location. Don't go. To, don't go anywhere. Or with a second location. Murder. Just yes. shoot the guy for God's sake. And so he, they end up at the factory. Mm-hmm. What is this a factory of? Meat factory. It's a meat factory. It's a it's a butcher. It's a what are they called? Slaughterhouse. Slaughterhouse. But what's the other word? The good word for it? Um, abattoir. Yes. <laughs> the fancy word, and it's an abattoir. So he takes him down to the kill floor. They're bringing a, a, an adorable brown cow out, and then they tell Jake to punch it in the face with a sledgehammer, a sledgehammer and Jake can't do it. Of course Jake can't do it, even though he plans to kill this man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this does not bode well for time-traveling assassin Jake. No. So he, they end up separating. He goes back to the Prices. The next night, there's a conversation with the Price family where he basically pulls the story of Mr. Price's bronze star out of him, and it's a mm-hmm. horrific story because he... He was awarded a bronze star, but also killed innocents. Well, he killed a young German kid and held his face underwater. A person who was not even not a, not a danger to him. Point. Yes, it, it was, should have been a POW, and right. he just killed him. Um, and then after that death, he, he was brought up for this commendation. So he does not. He doesn't believe that there's any such thing as a war hero. Uh, and so. Then we get some more Chris Cooper overview, like mm-hmm. o- or like voiceover, mm-hmm. um, and it's not not flashback. Well, we but, see him at one point. Oh, right? do we? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. We talk about he, and he talks about the time pushing back and how he got super sick. Oh, it was the cancer. He yeah. got cancer, right? So Jake wakes up the morning of Halloween with wicked food poisoning. He's very very sick. He's vomiting, ill, but he's determined to protect. Harry Dunning and his siblings. Oh, we should say, okay, so what had happened previously as well is that he goes and meets Doris and pretends that he is from the Hojo, the Howard Johnson organization, and that she and her children have won a free trip. So he's trying to get them out of town for, for, for... Halloween. So he keeps trying to find ways of passively stopping passively stopping it, get, getting mm-hmm. them separated. Because I guess he believes if it's not actually Halloween, then he won't. This man won't kill these people. But Halloween is not. I mean, it's a special day and everything, but it's mm-hmm. not that special of a day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's the first thing that he tries is going there, saying that they won this trip. So he's he's purchased these this trip for them basically 
Um, and then he is um, surprised after the conversation with the prices. Uh, Frank Dunning shows up and says, come with me. Uh, the prices don't like that he's there. And Jake is taken off guard. He did not expect to see him. He gets in the car and goes to a second location again with this multiple murder. And that second location is his wife's house mm -hmm. where he is accused of trying to sleep with her. Because mm -hmm. he says it looks like, because you came here and gave her this trip, it looks like you're trying to sleep with my wife. And you were under the impression that anything that Jake did would look like trying to sleep with his wife. And I would argue, except actually giving her a trip to a hotel does in fact look like he's sleeping well, with it, his wife. It, or trying to. I, I don't think, he seems to be very possessive of his wife. Of course he is. They're separated. Mm -hmm. um, he is firm when Jake tries to talk to him about maybe separating and getting a divorce right. and that stuff, that this is a temporary thing and they're going to end up back together. That's his wife and his yeah. kids and they belong to him and that's just the way that it's going to be. So that's, yeah, that was his mm -hmm. first try was sometimes it's better to just let let him go. And yeah. Frank is like, uh, no. His attempts <laughs> at trying to prevent this murder almost lack conviction. He keeps thinking that, and, and I think it's part of his personality as a character, that he can find a smarter way around this other than resorting to violence. Yeah. And particularly the time that he's going back to, violence is just the way that things were done. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a horrible thing to say, but uh, yeah, that's the way that things were finished. So trying to talk to a person whose only tool is violence. Yeah. He just, uh, Dunning is violence forward. Aggression yes. is how he deals with everything. Yes. You're not going to be able to reason with him because he can't reason. Not so much the fact yeah. that he is... Perpetually drunk, so... Perpetually drunk, exactly. So just brain that could reason stuff out is not Isn't, isn't, isn't doing it. so all there is is anger. Right. And so he says he'll get out of town, he apologizes, and he leaves. And then, um, yeah, he wakes up the next morning, which mm -hmm. is Halloween, and he is violently ill, but he fights, he gets medicine, and he fights through it. He buys a gun. Mm-hmm. From a woman who says, mm, you're a stranger. I don't know if I should tell you again. I'm just messing with you. I'll sell you five guns if you want because there is no gun regulation. Uh, and so he has the gun and he's outside the house. Halloween night. And Bill comes up behind him mm -hmm. with a knife, which is a weird move. And he's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm trying to stop. Like Frank is going to kill his family, right. and I am trying to stop him. And he's like, how do you know that? There's a whole back and forth. He basically says, I'm from the future. Like, he well, see, says, so I'm from the future, and mm -hmm. I'm trying to stop this. And Bill is, he thinks Bill is protecting Frank, but then we find out that no. Right. Bill hates Frank because Frank killed Bill's sister, who was his first wife, mm -hmm. um, never got uh, arrested for it because hid her body somewhere. He, but he is convinced that Frank did this. Yeah. And of course, when we hear this, we know of course Frank did this oh, yeah. because we know Frank is about to do it again. So yeah, this man kills women. This is a thing that this man does. Man kills children. Well, maybe uh, not. Well, Depends on whether or not you know Jake. And so Jake and Bill are out front, uh -huh. and 
they hear screaming and Jake goes, oh no, we went in through the back. And I'm like, of course he did dipshit. <laughs> like, he's not going to, oh, you're so stupid. And so Jake goes into the house and we hear the voiceover and we've been hearing him recounting Harry Dunning's uh-huh. writing, the story. So we're yeah. hearing more of it than we heard at the very first episode. So he knows more details than we did right at the beginning. Uh, and Jake goes in, tries to get the kids to stay in their rooms and not come out. He's, he breaks up Frank fighting Doris. And then he ends up, after much back and forth and commotion, garroting him to death. I, I think that that was an interesting choice that all through the this episode, to frustrating extents, he keeps trying to reason and rationalize. And and then he has a gun. And he has a gun. He can't manage to shoot Frank He right. shoots Frank w- what looked like in the chest. Right. But that didn't slow Frank down at all. Right. Speaking of Terminator... And uh, so I don't know if he actually shot him. He, if he... he seems to have shot him just just above the heart, more in the shoulder than the chest. Okay. And so Frank is still kicking still Jake's coming, ass. Still coming. Still kicking his ass. And so in the end, though, he winds up killing Frank in the least humane and most brutal possible yes. way. Literally strangling him to death in front of his wife. Wife. And kids. One of his kids yeah. and Bill, I think so all of like them see it. And I, I do appreciate that twist that instead of all through the story, he's trying to be find a genteel way of doing it, trying to dissuade people. It is dirty and in the mud. Killing him in the grossest and most horrible possible way that you can kill somebody. Really, eyes bulging, blood pumping out of the mouth, the whole thing. Yeah. So I think that was actually kind of. It was the best way to end the episode, is to show, yeah, you're not going to do this without getting your hands dirty. Yeah, and he is, he's covered in blood. He goes Uh back to the princes, or prices, excuse Uh me, Miss Price, um, where she was like, what the fuck? Uh And he's like, I know this looks bad. Please know that I didn't do anything bad or wrong. I don't know how he phrases it, but he's like... Because she's a moral Christian woman, but her response is even more telling. And she's like, God's going to judge you. Like, I don't... Well, she first tells him that she should call the police. Yes. She's thinking about it, but at the same time, it's like... And this is kind of the, um, the problem with small towns, at least in this period of time. Everyone knows... Everything. Oh, yeah. No one's going to say anything, but nope. she's going, I'm not going to I mean, we, we see this at the very beginning, mm-hmm. and all of us were like, this is fucked up. As Harry Dunning is walking through town. Well, this is after he's been stripped of his pants stripped, and one of his shoes. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. He's like five years old. Uh-huh. He's pantsless. So he's he's got tidy whities on, right. but he's not wearing any pants. He's missing a shoe. And he's walking through the entire town. And the adults are either tisking at him or shaking their head. They understand what is happening. They are not helping him at all. He goes to the pharmacy, which is where Jake sees him for the first time, um, to pick up shorts that he has left there because he knows that this is going to keep happening to him. The pharmacist is like, I don't know if I'm doing you any favors letting you stash them here. And Harry's like, just give me my shorts and let me go to school. Like, I have to get to school. It's first thing in the morning, and he's already dealt 
all of this indignity. The town has watched him walk through humiliated and does nothing to help him. And, you know, the whole thing is, well, you got to learn to fight back. He's a little kid, and there were three bigger ones that were being... Like, what is he supposed to do? Murder them? Because the only thing that he's going to be able to do is literally hit them with a rock big enough to give them brain damage. Like, what? Very much. And this is why Jake's approach is not going to work here. These are brutal people who have a frontier mentality almost. And... If you watched TV from the 50s, like I did growing up, when you know it was always on reruns, even things like as innocuous as Bonanza were about people, you had to learn how to fight. And if you're not fighting, you're a coward or you're yeah, a sissy. And boys will be boys. Right, They're going to keep coming after you because we don't punish was, them. Right. It was <laughs> just that, oh, a person has... There's nothing you can learn from being repeatedly beaten up all the time except to become a bully or to become a victim. Those were their only two thi- yeah. standards. And they don't, they don't acknowledge victims. Victimhood is but not But it's like, that, but what? But what is this five-year-old supposed to do I, I, against these? Yeah, old, like, literally, bizarre, he right? has to kill one of them. Yeah. So that's what you're saying. You're telling this five-year-old child, <laughs> "Fucking right. sack up and murder somebody." Like what? that was part of the ethic then. It's deeply fucked up. So Drake gets away. He gathers his stuff and he mm-hmm. drives away. He pulls over by the side of the road to um, one of those spigots right. to wash the blood off of his hands and body. And then we hear a gun cock behind him, and it's Bill, the bartender again, and he's got a. Piece of a newspaper from 1963. Mm. Oh, and he says, where did this come from? What the hell is this? And I'm like, well, he did tell you he was a time traveler. So I don't know why you're shocked by the fact that he has time traveling paraphernalia. So that's the end of that episode. Y'all, this episode was a slog. I did not enjoy the watch. Uh, It aggravated me that he's doing all of this. And now we are in with Bill. And we go into this, the next episode. Do you want to just go straight through or do you want yeah, to... Yeah, I want to go straight through because okay. I think that Bill, for me, and Sadie wind up... And a couple of... Okay, but let me hit this first really quick. I think these first two episodes, what saves them is not the actual... Is the supporting cast, I think. I think so. But I honestly, mean, right. I could... If I watched this again, I wouldn't watch this episode. I mean, there, the, I just skip it. The opening scene is... Um, we have Mr. Dunning as an older man recounting. That's the opening of the... the yes. The, the first, opening, episode, first episode, I think, was good. Right. I enjoyed watching it. But he still was making stupid mistakes that were frustrating. Well, I mean, the yeah. The second episode is him compounding on his inability to get... Fra- uh, Jake, rather. His inability to get his act together. And again, it's Annette O'Toole and... Um, Josh Jamel. Yeah, Michael and, O'Neill as uh, Arliss Price yes. has a beautiful monologue, very much like the monologue from the first episode, about what it takes to be a war hero. Yeah, or and, what and, that is, yeah, the fact that that and term why he is... he rejects that term. Right. And and, and another tool is actually very... I mean, she's an amazing performer she's from She's wonderful, yes. I remember her doing song and dance and romantic... She was amazing. But to see her in this part... Um, she still brings, and I'm hoping that character is a part of the series going forward. I don't think so. I don't think but we're going to see anybody else from she, that series. She's a person. Unless he resets and has to come back. It might be. But she's very funny. I loved her whole, her, and again, little bits that she brings, that yes. the actors brought to it, like the, 
goulash, you know? Yes. She basically makes She makes okay. cream of mushroom soup and adds some paprika to it, and now it's goulash. Not and our goulash. husband's like, it tastes like cream it's of mushroom her soup. Whole kind of intimidating exterior about being a good Christian woman and moral breaks down if you compliment her food, and suddenly she's like, really. Yes. Oh my God, you really like my face? Yeah. <laughs> it was very funny. And then her husband. And that whole relationship was really funny. It was really good. Where, um, she's like, she's not to be trifled with. <laughs> right. When like, do not bring a woman back here. Jake, go to the bar if you're going to go to the bar, right, but, he, but do uh, not fucking... Jake is trying to find out where to go to get some action in town, and... But really, it's not that. He right. just wants to know where, if I was a drunk, where would I if go? I was going to go to... But he's trying to find a polite way of saying this, and Arliss just goes, I believe the place you're looking for... The place is, you're looking for is that like, Without that. acknowledging anything about yeah. what... And, but then follows with, sites, right, Mrs. Is, Price is not to be right. reckoned with. Like, don't... Don't bring that back here. Don't bring that back here. You do you mm-hmm. out there, right? and then you sleep here quietly and by yourself and do not bring any food get, or women to that room. I just, I think that so far in the first two episodes, it's the supporting cast that saves it. And really, in the third episode, he finally, we get some developments that, that, um... Well, so the third episode, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we pick up right where the second episode right. ends... Um, other voices, other rooms, and he has to explain to Bill, no, when I said I was a time traveler, I was not fucking with you. I am, in fact, a time traveler. Bill immediately is like, well, then can you go back and bring back my sister who was killed this 12 years ago by Frank mm-hmm. Dunning? And he's like, I can only go to 1960. That's the way it works. I, like, I'm sorry. that I, I'm sorry. Um, and then they decide, then he decides, basically... To go ahead and continue on and do the JFK thing. And I'm like, so you're cool with just leaving this as it is? Two deaths already in um, in Houston or in Dallas? Mm-hmm. And we're just going to go back and pick up like we didn't fuck up all that that poor boarding woman's life and like we're just gonna move on so he uh, enlists bill to drive him to dallas and then when they get to dallas bill's like cool i'm staying i'm gonna help you they walk through dealey plaza and he says who is what that's the book depository lee harvey oswald this that and the other so we go through the whole thing and bill's like and he and then he expects bill to just leave him there and bill's like there's literally nothing for me in Kentucky, in Holden, Kentucky. It's where my sister and her baby were, and they are not there anymore. Right. Um, and now Frank Dunning isn't there, so he doesn't have this sort of murderous revenge that he needs to get anymore because it, it's got got. And so he wants to help. Uh, he wants to help Jake, and so now. Jake's got a sidekick who is um, way better than he is. I like Bill very much. Bill is... Bill's a good character. And I think that, for me, he saves the story. Because he is... There's a moment where Frank wakes up having nightmares. And I yes. also like the fact that there's collateral damage. Frank yes. is not a killer. I mean, Jake. Jake. Jake is not a killer. Jake is not a killer, and he's so, not dealing with having killed well. So the fact well. that he literally killed a man with his bare hands. Yes. Um, well, almost bare hands is troubling him. So he 
jumps out of bed in the middle of having a nightmare and he attacks Bill. Yes. And Bill, who also is in his tidy whities there's a lot of men in their underwear in this thing. Well, they're sleeping. He's covered in scars from where he got beatings from yes, his father. Yes, from his father, yeah. So, it, like, Yeah, Bill, he's got the, a back that rivals the back in Outlander. Like, right. just lash marks. Yeah. Deep, severe scarring right. all over his back. And, and Bill's response to that isn't, Anger or outrage or fighting back. It's literally just like, it's okay. I know how to teach. If it's, there's one thing I know, it's how to take a beating. Right. My father taught me that. So Bill, even though he has now held a Jake at knife point mm-hmm. and at gunpoint, is not really a threat. He's not a threat. He's also, I like the way that Bill is so, he doesn't have... He looks like a scrub, but he's not one. No. Right? Yes. He's just, his car looks like it's rusting. <laughs> well, he was working yeah. at that bar. He's he wasn't that bar. making he can't any get money. Any respect. Everyone just mows him down. But when he has a mission now, yeah. he's complete. Oh, now I'm going to make a difference. Yeah. On that mission. And, and it doesn't even matter what the mission is, really. There's a very funny line where um, Jake tells him we're gonna, they're going to kill the president. And he goes, Eisenhower? No, Kennedy. Okay, Kennedy? <laughs> yeah, like he's right on board. Right, okay. Doesn't he does, he doesn't... We're going to stop it. <laughs> he's 100% in. He doesn't... And and so they're talking about, like, they, they walk through, like I said, Dealey Plaza. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, 2,000 books have been written on the subject and nobody right. still really knows what happened. <sighs> they go... They're going to stick with Al's plan. They're going to learn whether Oswald was involved in the assassination on Walker in 63, April of 63. Right. Uh, to confirm a larger exper- a conspiracy. Uh, and But then, rather than gambling for the money, for money to live, uh-huh. he decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a job teaching. I'm going to get a nine-to-five. Sure, sure. That's a fucking great plan. So he gets a job teaching in Jody. Now, I actually think that was one of the first smart the smart moves, because he has to stay there long term, right? He does. And if he's just some weird guy lurching around the edge of town, yeah. we've seen how that happens. Yeah. Although he'll be in a bigger place. Yeah. But um, I actually And they've got to kill a bunch of time, right. because Lee Harvey Oswald is in Russia until 1962. Right. And so we just... he We hear them talk about how they both need to get a job, and then... Fucking hard cut 1962. It goes from mid-November 1960, hard cut, and it literally only says 1962. I don't know when in 1962. Um, But they're living together basically as brothers, right? They're saying, Mm -hmm. their cover stories that they're brothers. Um, Although there's a really funny scene also where... That's what I was going to say. So at... At one point, very early, I think it's before the cut to 62, um, Bill wants to go sort of celebrate. And so they go to a club in town, and Bill gets wasted. He gets like white girl wasted. He is right. so he's in love with drunk. He, he's never, he's like, I've only ever been in small towns. I, Let's I, go to an actual club. Be a virgin, he's probably a virgin. As, we've learned, as we find out later on. Um, and. Yes, he's telling the stripper that he loves her, and he's like talking about how great Jake is, mm-hmm. and the as he is very boisterous and loud, the owner of the club comes over to check on them, 
and introduces himself as Jack Ruby. And here's how I know Jack Ruby. I was introduced to Jack Ruby with the tagline, the man who shot the man who shot JFK. Jack Ruby is the man who, while Lee Harvey Oswald was in federal custody, walked up to him and shot him and killed him. I remember watching an episode of In Search Of when I was a kid, and they played that clip. And I was kind of shocked with that. I don't want, you know... I'm not joining the conspiracy, uh, although this certainly, this kind of subject matter invites that. But even as a kid, I'm like, that looks weirdly staged. Like, he just walks up and shoots him. Yeah, that was... And it was very yeah. weird. Yeah, and yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's yeah. my... Like, and then he right. wasn't killed immediately. Yeah. That's the thing that gets me. Typically, in a situation like that, if it wasn't... That that's why it's weird to me. They then took him into custody. He uh-huh. died in custody. He but what should have happened immediately was all of those armed guards that were there should have opened fucking right. fire. Like what? <laughs> um, I, yeah, whatever Lee Harvey Harvey Oswald need Os, excuse me. Lee Harvey Oswald. Whatever <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald knew he took with him. Yes. Yes. And and so I understand that they were covering that with the rage over shooting the president while somebody, this citizen who just was heartbroken. And there was apparently this, and they discussed that in this episode, that there was a weird shift in public feeling after Kennedy died. Yes. Um, and there's a, a good moment where we have a flashback of Chris Cooper narrating... Talking about what, what... it was like when people wouldn't look each other in the eye and they just all sort of felt numb. Like the day that they found, right. like that day, yeah. So, um... And he says, oh, Chris Cooper's so good in that scene because his eyes are like... Yeah. Full of tears. And you can see that that pain is as there. present that day in 2010... As it was in 1963. Yeah, it, it, it was, uh, it's a, God, there's so much good work done here. That's yeah. why it's just sort of disappointing to follow this guy. Yeah, another point about Bill, uh-huh. who, like, I, we, we're fans of. Mm-hmm. In the story, in the book, he's he doesn't go with Jake. Okay. He helps him with Frank, and then he's left behind in the narrative. So he, as an adaptation, mm-hmm. he's a wild card. As if you know the story, you don't know what his part in it's going to be because he doesn't have a part. It's, he's like the Daryl. Yeah. That's <laughs> not even. Yeah. So. Um, but I think that he was necessary for the audience. Or Lafayette and True Blood, who's yeah. killed in the in the first season in the or in the first book, but then stays like seven seasons he's of the show. He's necessary for the narrative because it's very hard to follow what Jake is doing. Yeah. And so he's staying... And stay on his side. He's he's in... He's with the audience now. You know, the he represents the audience of what are we doing here? And he winds up being... Said, I'm hoping that he stays alive for the rest of this. Yes. I'm trying not to find out anything about the, the book going forward, which is hard because we have to reference it all the time. But, um, but yeah. 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 So then we cut to 1962. Oh, 1962, yes. And uh, they... Are getting ready. They ha- they've they've got an apartment across from where the Oswalds mm-hmm. are going to move in. Uh, they get a bunch of bugging equipment from a man who thinks that he's bugging his ex-wife. So that's awesome. Uh, it's the latest stuff from Japan. Oh, so wild! And Lee Harvey Oswald's coming back. Um, 
Jake's settled in as the English teacher. He mm-hmm. was hired as a substitute, but he settled in as the full-time English teacher. And then we have, uh, and he's friends with Deke, uh, the pres or the uh, principal, mm-hmm. and also with Ms. Mimi, the black uh, secretary of the school. And there are some good scenes with her too. Yes, there's some very good scenes with of her. him basically telling racists to go fuck themselves and helping her out. <laughs> yeah, there's a really, and I think there's that really great moment that he has where she has been walking for a mile trying to find gas for her car. Gas for her car. Her car ran out of gas, right. and he came. She came to buy. Um, a can of gas to take back and uh-huh. and she is informed that she is not allowed to buy gas. She can go to the N-word town across the river where she should go to get gas is what the very lovely proprietor of the gas station says. And then uh-huh. Jake's like, well, I'd like to buy some gas. And he goes to fill it up and he goes, no, I need it in a can. And then he wants to say something, and Jake just gets up in his face, and he's like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> this is the first time I actually like Jake. Yeah. And this is the episode where between this and the way he very blindly and earnestly, and we'll talk about that, I guess, in a minute, is trying to make a connection with Sadie. Sadie, yeah. Whereas the only times where I'm beginning to like him, like, okay, he is trying to get on this thing with being on top of this mur- this assassination attempt. Yeah. He has an assistant, now somebody who can help him, because he obviously can't, he's just incompetent to do this by himself. No, he can't, it's, it's a um, lot to do by himself, too. Right. And then they're fixing to bug the apartment, but mm-hmm. he is roped into chaperoning a school dance on a Thursday night. Why is there a school dance on a Thursday night? Nobody may know. Along with the new librarian, Sadie Dunhill, and you are right, we did meet her before, right. On the, uh, in, she left, she was reading from here to eternity uh-huh. and she left her purse on a bench and he waved it down, waved her down and gave it back. They had a moment and then she went off with a man and he brings up her husband and she's like, no husband, like, right. re- like shuts it down. Fortunately, only Miss Mimi is standing there who knows a little something about discretion. And he, like, backs it up and was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I must have been mistaken or whatever because... A divorced man has enough trouble. A divorced woman can't get a job. Can't get a job. So she needs to not be a divorced woman, even though she is, in fact, a divorced woman. They chaperone together. They steal some of the kids' drinks and flasks and drink it themselves, which is pretty good. And then he's like, oh, I got to go. I'm supposed to be... I have something to do. I have an emergency at 10. I'll be back in an hour. He never makes it back, y'all. He never makes it he back. He never makes it back because he has an adventure with Bill trying so to So he and Bill bug. go, they're going to bug. Which is a really good scene. Yeah, that. except it doesn't make any sense. So they've decided 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, well, why don't they just wait until he's done at the dance and do it at 1? Although it turns out that wouldn't have worked right. either. They think they've got another week before Lee Harvey Oswald and his Russian bride move in. They mm-hmm. are there when he returns and is at the airport, and his first question to his parents is, where are the, where are the reporters? Right. And his parents are like, there are no reporters, we're just going to go home. And he's like, I'm the only, def- I'm the only defector. Right. Like, I'm the only person. defected to Russia. I'm the only Marine that's ever defected. So, and, and returned. Uh, I, I, um, I think. And he wants that. Uh, what notoriety like and he doesn't get it is that this is this tells you a lot about Lee Harvey Oswald because he's the character yes. and, and the historical character 
is just this little shit kind of who wanted to get attention. And yeah. He's disappointed that he cannot seem to get anyone invested in and him. In him, or no matter how outrageous his conduct is, he reminds me of who's the presidential candidate with a weird face. Uh, uh, that means nothing because you don't see faces the way I see faces. Okay, it's the guy who they said had a uh, Ted Cruz, right? Where during the presidential campaign, the last one, he tried to do everything to draw attention to himself, and he just never, no one was interested in anything. That he was Jeb doing. Bush was like that too. Yeah, but just trying really hard to. Look at me, look at me, and no matter what he did, no one cared. And Oswald, there is, he's just, and maybe that's why I got the impression that he was physically small, because he's constantly, yeah. he's he's constantly trying to do things to get attention, and no one is invested in all, at yeah. all. Yeah, Is his, he's got a Russian wife, is she pregnant? <laughs> um, excuse me, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, she, I know historically that she was pregnant when she takes the famous picture of him holding a gun. Um, okay, so she may not be pregnant yet. Yeah, I don't know, because we're it's also unclear. seeing them sneak off to consummate in the well, apartment. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. So they're not supposed to move into the apartment for a week. But they picked this Thursday night to set up the bugs. Mm-hmm. They go over there at 10 o'clock right. to set up the bugs, and and Oswald and I think her name is Marina uh-huh. uh, come. Oh, she's called Marguerite here, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, is she called Marguerite? I don't, mm, know. I don't think so. Yes, Marina. Um, anyways, and his wife, mm-hmm. they, um, they come home. So Bill and Jake hide in a closet and then get, climb up into the ceiling and go to uh, get out. Um, Bill puts his hand in a nest of spiders, which causes him to shout out, right. which, yeah. Um, and then... Lee hears them and shouts, you know, shouting at them. They're able to get out of a, of this little, uh, sort of, it's not really a window. It is now because they've kicked it out. And it's a vent. And the vent, yeah. So they get, yeah. And they kick out, they get out, and they run, and just, they just have to go across the street because, like Mm -hmm. I said, they're staying across the street. Um, and they're not caught. But you hear Lee yelling about how he's being, persecuted and how they're after him. Like, right. he's got a lot of paranoia. Now, to be fair... They are listening to him and they're they, after him. Yeah, all of that <laughs> is accurate. And I'm like, how does he not find these giant bugs now? Uh-huh. Like, how does he not go through the house and find all of these bugs that they left behind? Because, y'all, they look like full-ass microphones. Well, yeah, they're, they're massive anyone things. Anyone who's seen, like, a Bond film from the 60s knows what these things look like. And that's what, I, my entire life, I expected... You know, listing devices to look like, because that's how I grew up. They're about the size of, oh, they're about between six and nine inches long, it looks like. And they have a mic at the end of it. it there's no mistaking yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, no, Marina, I was like. So, yeah, um, I made a mistake. A few days later, uh, they see George de Morenshield mm-hmm. come and visit. And, of course, they start having a conversation in Russian. And Jake is like, we could have spent the last two years learning Russian. And I'm like, yeah, you probably should have spent the last two years learning Russian. Like, that would have been on my list of things I Mm -hmm. probably should or get find somebody who knows Russian and get him on my side. Get a get an interpreter. 
And Bill's response to that is, I can't learn Russian. Like, just not even a possibility. And I'm like, well, they didn't have Duolingo then, so I guess it'd be hard. So he's like, I'm going to go get a Russian-English dictionary. And when he comes back, Bill's gotten his ass kicked. All of the recording equipment is gone. Mm -hmm. Because there's this dude, Raphael, who has been calling them queer this whole time. Mm -hmm. But Jake's like, ignore him, ignore him, ignore him. And Bill's like, see, we shouldn't have ignored him. And then they... They go down to Raphael's apartment and they break in with, they hold open their wallets like there's a, a badge there, but yeah. there's nothing. There's right. just this is white paper. And they're like, FBI, FBI. They've got guns still. FBI. It's like they were thinking the sympathy paper from Doctor Who. The one yeah, that... it's so, yes, exactly. And um, they, they uh, He's like, you guys aren't FBI, and where they're like, you're in, you're in, in interfering in an investigation, this, that, and the other, and then they see that his daughter is there, and so uh-huh. they don't want to be violent or whatever, but they're like, you're helping us carry this all back to our apartment, which is a wild thing, and I guess they do. He right. does, um, and then Jake um, at school. Uh, they, he's he, well. First of all, Raphael had unspooled a lot of that tape, so a lot of the stuff that they right. have is ruined, including that conversation with George that they were going to try and uh, translate. Um, Jake does, however, uh, get kissed by Sadie, and then they're going to go on a real date. So his life there is smoothing out. I'm like, don't get he has too a better attached. Life there that he does where he's coming from. Well, yeah, there. because he literally just got a, a divorce. Um, and then before they go on their date, though, uh, Jake and Bill follow Lee Harvey Oswald and George Damore and Shield to a General Walker rally. General Walker, again, is the man that he is, they think, uh, according to Al, Oswald may try to assassinate Mm -hmm. in April. Yes, according to Al. So, um, it's very distasteful. Walker is basically against everything that mm-hmm. JFK is for. He is a nationalist. He's a white nationalist. He's a fucking racist. He's talking in front of a Confederate flag. Right. Like, he's uh, gross. <laughs> and so outside, uh, Oswald confronts Walker and calls him a fascist and and tells everybody around him this is what we're fighting against like you're a fucking fascist and Oswald is like losing his mind and is dragged away um, after attacking this guy and then uh, the last thing that we see is Oswald yelling wake up you fascist wake up or I'll kill you and then that's the end of the episode now they, this, I think, can, is going to convince them that he is the one that goes to shoot right. Oswald. But, or goes to shoot Walker. But why would the same person... Like, why would you shoot these two people? They're diametrically opposed I think that, to each other. Um, and you seem to legitimately have a problem with Walker. Uh, Which means I don't think you'd legitimately have a problem with JFK. I, I think that what 
And I like that scene because you see Jake having some sympathy going, but he's right. This guy is a fascist. This guy is a fascist. This is the guy that we fought against. Yeah. Um, Is that Lee Harvey Oswald is very kind of conflicted and very easily influenced and he's going to be turned. And so it creates the question, like, why on earth, or A, is he the guy who shot Kennedy? And B, if he did, if he is the guy who shoots him, what did they do to him that turned him around like Turn this? him around. Because he obviously would have been on the same side with Jake. At some and we see Morinshield, DeMorinshield, mm-hmm. looking uncomfortable at Walt Oswald's... Because he's being public. It's like, this right. is not how you train an assassin. But also, like, does he... It seems like DeMorinshield would be on board with uh-huh. what Walker is saying. It seems like, well, maybe it's, it's just it's uh, unclear because yeah. I think what we're also saying is that is that what was a popular Cold War tactic for the Russians, which they still have not stopped doing, and I'll say the Soviet Union. Okay. But now there's no Soviet now it's Union, Russia, now right? it's just Russia, is just to create as much chaos as you can. Yeah, no, that's true. And so... Yes. It, and you pit you even if it's the same person right. doing the damage on both sides, you're pitting those sides together by causing right. that damage. So it's yes. not like you're, and this is also the the failure that they have that it's uh, that they've always had, which is just creating so much chaos that even they can't handle it. And then, oops, yeah, and that's, that's, that's what's happening right now. What, what has been like part of the playbook since the USSR? Yeah, which is and they they are still doing that. That is true. Spoil and make a mess of everything. And then see which part of it you Just, can deal with. Yes, and and uh, and hope that it's so unstable that your you can very limited stability can. Yeah, exactly. But then underestimating or overestimating their ability to handle the situation once everything goes into chaos, which is what happened. So it seems like there's a very good chance that they just found somebody that they could weaponize. And it didn't, you know... I they think, just pointed him at various directions, right. hoping he'd sow as much chaos as possible. Yeah. And, yeah, and I guess assassinating any president, regardless mm-hmm. of who that president is, is going to sow chaos. Right. Not so, necessarily whether or not right. you agree with what that president is doing or not. And JFK really was... He really did sort of take the Russians to task a lot. Either it was whether he yeah. was intervening in Cuba, right, or whether he was, you know, Cuba twice, right. the, the missile crisis, that you know he was not afraid of standing up to them. So he was yeah. not their favorite. And I mean, now, like the so if we if we put that in today's terms, right, right. Russia was on Trump's side, is on Trump's side. Mm-hmm. We see that Trump. Favors relationship with him. and yeah. favors Russia, but I don't think Putin would be above causing his assassination because of what that would do to our country. Because even mm-hmm. if Russia did it, they would make it look like it was a leftist conspiracy and well, so a civil a, revolt. Right like now, that there is, is a there is a um, a construct that favors. Uh, what the aims of the Soviet Union are in terms of what they did in Syria, which is cause as much conflict so that we can step in the gap and right. establish ourselves as an international right. power. And so what they're looking for, and this sounds horrible, but it seems like their aim has always been, even since the Cold War, is just to create power vacuums at different places yep. in the world. 
and then try to insinuate yourself into that. Right, because they don't have a lot going for them. Right. Like Russia itself doesn't yeah. have a lot going for it until it weakens, uh, unless it can weaken right. the things that around it that do have stuff going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, it's, and it's interesting how... And we're talking specifically about the Russian um, leadership. Right. I'm not talking about the and Russian it, it people. You could say the USSR, not, yeah. and it's harder now to say that because there isn't a USSR. Specifically, either. we can talk about Putin and but Putin's they, regime. But Putin effectively is was part of the KGB, and yes. so therefore the KGB still reigns mm-hmm. over the country. Absolutely. And so it's, but what you're saying is that the playbook hasn't changed, which makes it ridiculous. Well, no, because it's working. They're, they're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's not like it's moved them a great deal forward as a country, but they certainly have messed things up for everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So And um, the people in power yeah. are very comfortable. They're yes. very rich, and that is what they want. It's not about for all the talk about Mother Russia, mm-hmm. Putin doesn't give a fuck about mm-hmm. Russia anymore tr- than Trump gives a fuck about America. Right. They Putin is in it for Putin. Trump yeah. is in it for Trump. And so, yeah, whatever they can do to lift that up, yeah. even it's, if it's it causes a, the destruction of... Anytime that you discuss JFK, or you're going to have to go into politics now because it's still affected the right. way that things have happened. Right. And so, I mean, he was the president. You can't talk well, about the assassination of JFK. In his, you know, relationships, particularly with trying to stop Russian communism yes. from coming to the hemisphere, that all the way through when I was a kid, Reagan, we were still having to discuss, well, the steps that... Cold War stuff, right, yeah. Yeah. That happened during the Cold War, and now it's it looks like it's, you know... Ramping back up again, maybe. It looks like it's a lot warmer than it was for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah so yeah it's, it's impossible to keep out of that it's I know it's kind of dicey you don't want to sort of accuse a, a whole race or culture of people and once again it's not mm-hmm. it's not the Russian people it's right. the oligarchs that are right. currently running Russia just like you and I don't have any say right now in well, American yes, policy we have friends who live out of the country who talk about Americans do it's like well yes we're Americans do as a matter of fact. More American than some, really. Yes. Um, but I just don't under. Yeah, the whole notion of American culture represents this. It's like no, it it doesn't. That's that's making it very simplified. But um, but anyhow, no. This episode was actually really good. Long story short. Yes, the third was, episode was good. So next week mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the fourth episode and the fifth episode, called "The Eyes of Texas" mm-hmm. and "The Truth." So that's episode up four and episode five. Right. In the meantime, do you have anything you would like to recommend? Yes, I would like to recommend a film currently on Netflix, and it's called Enola Holmes. Enola Holmes! And it's produced and starring Millie Bobby Brown. Millie Bobby Brown. Whose name is fun to say. It is. Because it sounds like she's from the country, and she is from the country called England. England. But she sounds like she's from Louisiana. Miller Baba Brown? Anyhow, um, who is playing Sherlock Holmes and Mycroft Holmes' younger sister. Enola. Enola. Um, And as a person who loves, as a matter of fact, in the room that we're at, there's a lot of Sherlock Sherlock Holmes. The uh, collection of Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes of Bacon, it's like I have a, a library here. And yes. a lot of Arthur Conan Doyle. 
I was really prepared not to like it because the casting was a little bit weird to me. They have a skinny Mycroft. Mycroft is supposed to be wonderfully fat. He's um, so skinny in this. He's one of those characters where that's part of uh, of the character. He's not. Um, but I think it might be before he gets fat. Yes, I think that that might be it. And Sherlock is played by Henry Cavill, who Superman. still looks like Superman. Superman, and so because he, he can't help it, he's got that right. dimple in his chin and that jawline. He looks but like he, Superman. He what are you going to do? The infamous Sherlock Holmes profile—the hawk nose and the squinty eyes—and and yeah. which is funny because I was thinking about that. There was a time when that was so much associated with the Holmes character that when Christopher Lee first played Holmes in the '60s and he didn't have the hawk nose, they put a big prosthetic on his face. And it did not work well. He looked like Pinocchio. And later on, he played the part without it on and did much better because he had the character right. It doesn't, yeah, it's not But anyhow, uh, Millie Bobby Brown is amazing. She's quite good. She is really funny. She pulls off breaking a fourth wall Uh in a very naturalistic way. Very naturalistic. There's some bits in there. And I don't want to spoil anything. There's a bit when she uh, discovers that she has feelings for somebody. And she hugs that person and turns to the camera and has this look of just absolute glee on her face, like, I've just discovered something about myself I didn't know. Right. Or there's one part that kind of uh, won me over where she's in disguise and she's so happy about it, she actually turns to the camera and says, "'Tis I." Like, it's very funny. Yeah, right. And she's she very cute. She's, yeah, she's a lovely presence. Yeah, and, and uh, or it, it, another point where she just turns to us for help. Like, she's been talking to us the entire time. It's like, can you think of something? Yeah. So she breaks the fourth wall really well, which is really weird in a period piece. Um, she plays a character... Does that character exist in canon? No. no. Okay. Uh, as far as we know, but he never talks about there it. There are other... There are Enola Holmes is, books. Right. And it's based on those. And what I like is that this is pre-Watson. Yes. Uh, and pre-Mycroft's fattening up, apparently. Yes. But... What I like is that it... He still works for the government. He right. isn't the yes, government. The point where because he's... at one point, at, yes. at, at some point, Mycroft is just yes. running England. Right. That's the, <laughs> that's what uh, Sherlock Holmes, that's part of the canon. He is the government. But um, and it's all about the theme of the story is turning this over to the next generation to find yourself. And that's a, a theme in the film. That works really well, too. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil too much because there's a lot yeah, going on. There's a yeah, lot of... we don't need to spoil mm. it. But what I will say that mm. is this. It watches like a pilot. Mm-hmm. It does not have a resolution to the central... The, the beginning well, the central mysteries. Books, right, right. So. right. But... The central mystery is what the F is going on with her mom. And you right. can get that from the trailer. And it's Helena Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter plays her mother. She disappears on her 16th right. birthday. And we find out things about her mom. Yeah. But we do not get resolution to that yeah. storyline in any way, shape, or form, really. Yeah. It, there is no closure there. The, the, the mystery that she takes up, she... Basically, and 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 explicitly in the middle of it, changes her whole yeah. focus to the Tewksbury mm-hmm. uh, boy, and that is the mystery that is solved. Yeah. It's a very interesting. It very much feels like the 
episode like like a pilot episode for a 13 point thing where in episode 13 we might get a resolution to that yeah. whole mom thing but in the meantime we're going to do these other well, things it, that, that it, it feels like feel... very much like Stumptown yeah. honestly which okay, they canceled which and I'm but I felt like I was being set up for it I don't know that Henry Cavill in an interview talked about working with her and said that she was Millie Bobby Brown is really not he didn't say he enjoyed working with her, but he said that she's amazing for the fact that she can do a very emotional scene and then afterwards run to him and say, "Could you like do a dance for my TikTok video or whatever?" She can't. She's not a method actress, right? Which is the healthiest that she could be right. because she is still a child. Yeah, she understands that I am here to play. Make believe. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna play make believe to but, the best of my ability, and then when I'm done playing make believe, I'm just me. What I like is that she does. What she Henry Cavill is playing the person who's becoming Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So he does do a good job of looking like he doesn't know how to relate to people. Yes. And what I liked about this story is that, and again, it's pre Watson. It seems. Ooh, and Mycroft is a. Dude, nice. that's Sam Claflin. Claflin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is in the Hunger Games movies, and he's been in a couple of other things more recently with, mm-hmm. like, Amelia Clark. He was in a movie where he played a quadriplegic. Um, he's been a couple of other... I can't remember the other thing recently, but he's... All, they're all British. Right. And they get to use their real accents, which is they, always they fun. They also get to use both the, the props, the countryside, and the actors that were familiar from Harry Potter for a long time. Yeah, there's a lot of Harry Potter in um, there. But what I like, uh, uh, going back to uh, Henry Cavill's performance, is that he you get the guy who's going to become that isolated person, but you also get that he and Enola share something in that they don't know people. Yeah. And they get each other, but nobody gets them. Right. And, th- and she's also, mm-hmm. she is a detective as he is. Right. And so I think that part of what I really like is that, in effect, by breaking the fourth wall, we get to be her Watson. Yeah. And so she does uh, a lot of stuff where things that you know from the, sh- the Holmes canon, again, whoever, the original writer of this, the producers of the program, were very respectful to what Conan Doyle wrote. Right. Which is really nice to see. Um, but they also do a good job of going, oh, this is what it's like to be actually a part of the process. Um, yeah, it's really very funny because she, she does things with such gusto. Yeah. When she's in disguise or when she's, you know, stealing a bicycle or she's constantly making asides about how clever her plot is. And of course it completely falls apart. Yes. Um, but she's, yeah, I, I really like also the fact that it's really opened up for in a style that isn't going to be put, off-putting to young people. There's no, a, I think that this is good for a maybe lot of 14 and up. There's animation at one point yeah. showing you what she's trying to do as opposed to what she's doing. So it's almost like you get to get inside of the, the person's head. And so it's not just sort it of like... Long. It is long. It is two hours and three minutes long. But they're also uh, approaching a big topic. This is kind That's of like true. taking one of the major literary figures, and it is, out of the Western canon of literature and trying to find a way of presenting a character into that world. So, yeah, no, I was just... And it's nice that it's a woman, because the women in Sherlock Holmes are... Well, the, no, Charles produced one of the great female characters. One. Of all time. Well, there's some one. others, some of the villains, but yes. <laughs> Irene Adler is one of the great characters in mystery fiction. 
but, the only woman who outsmarts him. But what is that one story? What is that, 40 pages? That's one story, but there's also other female characters. He doesn't trust women, which is the, one of the concessions you have to make for this story. He never trusts women because he says that they're practiced at, in the books, either practice at deception because they have to front all the time. So yeah, they're, they've been forced into right, a need so to be able to do that. that yeah. like, so I don't know that I can trust any of them because I'm not sh- their practice at having to deceive people to right. be able to live. Right. But uh, but oh no, overall, and even really good jujitsu. Yes, of. there was also jujitsu. But uh, but yes, no, I have to recommend it. It was really great, and even for a person who's as invested in these stories as I am, no, it was really fun. Yeah. So, did you have anything to recommend? Great British Bake Off is back. Oh my gosh, no. Only one episode is back. One episode. I watched Cakes. I have to wait a whole week. To learn more about Cakes. Sad. I know, I'm sorry. You also saw another show that that looked really interesting. You were watching it. What was it? Oh! Yes. Are you talking about the repair shop? Yes. So yes, I found last week, in the middle of the night, when I couldn't sleep, a show on Netflix called The Repair Shop, which is sort of like Antiques Roadshow meets, meets How It's Made. Mm-hmm. So there's a repair shop and people bring in their things. And there is a horologist and a woodworker and a painting conservationist and um, um, somebody who does uh, instruments, like musical instruments, like a luthier. Right. Um, and so there's all these people under this roof and they refinish mm-hmm. all of these old things that people bring in that they think is are probably beyond repair, and then they make them all fresh and new. Right. I was watching part of um, Between... We were watching episode, I think, three of season yeah. one is that when you came in. And I was watching someone repair a painting. Yes. And there was so much more to it. Yes. Know, she I, made this glue out of fish. Fish glue. She made it. Right. Like, she didn't just go to a store and buy fish some so fish useful. glue. Mm-hmm. She made fish glue, and then that's what she used to fix this painting. Yeah, it was wild. So, yeah, that show's really good. It's it's also British, and it is of the same sort of... It's a cozy core type mm-hmm. thing, where it's just like, this it's is also, comforting. It, it's, but it's cool to see this I skill like, put into right. place. I like seeing demonstrations of skill like that. Yeah. Because this is something that I don't and know. And they open, and they're like, now people just buy things, and then when it breaks, they just buy another thing. But right. sometimes something matters so much that you can't just right. buy something to replace it. And this is what they are there for. And they're in like this thatched roof, idyllic. It's a little, a little twee. It is, actually, yes, like I but said, comfort core, that, it's, cottage it was core. Neat to watch. Just the the level of uh, commitment they have towards restoring things. Yeah, it's because very some cool. things are very old. Some things are one can't. of the well, yeah one of the yeah. the clocks that they restored. Where they brought. The horologist was doing the mechanism, and then they had their woodworker fix the case, and mm-hmm. the ceramics specialist fix the face, and they sent out for the glass in, to go inside the bezel. So they had, you know, several artisans working on this thing, yeah. 
that was a clock from the 17th century, so hundreds and, and hundreds of years old. It wouldn't do to let it go, and it wouldn't do to try to replace modern parts on it. No, you have no. to try to... And he was like, you know, I'll replace the parts I need to replace, and you can see, and he carved his in too. <laughs> you could see, like in 1917, there was a repair done, and there was an, it was etched into uh-huh. the, the mechanism. Um, and then... You know, he could also see, like, this mechanism didn't go with this face originally because the face, there's a, a place on the mechanism for the date mm-hmm. and nowhere on the face, the original face for the date. So we knew that this mechanism had come in. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just part of this thing's story. Well, if you want to keep something going from the last three or four hundred years, you're going to have to do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. You can't just... But it's good. It's yeah. yeah, that's a very, like, chill show to have mm-hmm. on in the background, uh... And they usually have like three or four different mm-hmm. um, items that come in. They the way that they edit it is they stagger it, so you get something at the beginning, and then like ten minutes in or five minutes in, you get a second thing, and then you see both of those things being worked on, and then in ten minutes they add a third thing in, and yeah. then you see all three of them being worked on, and then they're represented to the owners at the end, yes. who pay for nothing. So that's wow, interesting. Really? I mean, I don't know. I presume that somebody's paying for something. Well, I'm, I'm My guess is that they were submitted is, yeah. and you can pay to have your stuff done at this location or uh-huh. you could submit to have your stuff on the show right. and then you get it done for free. I, that is probably what's happening. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how British uh, reality TV contracts work. So, But it's good. Yeah, that's yeah, called The Repair good. Shop. There's two seasons on Netflix. Good backgrounds work. All right, is that everything? I think it's everything. All right, next week we're watching episode four and episode five. Okay. And until then, uh, you can reach us on uh, Gmail at latecomerspod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. On Twitter at latecomerspod. On Facebook by searching latecomerspodcast in the search bar. I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you better, better late, late than, than never. never.